Good afternoon. Such, oh, I beg your pardon. You're insulted. I'm sorry. Your father and mother did a better job than that, didn't they? They didn't call you such. They gave you a much nicer name, a name to be remembered and appreciated all your life. I'm still tempted to say good afternoon, such, since I don't know your name. Well, let's just bow our heads for prayer. Father, thank you for the day you've given us, a gorgeous Iowa day, this little spot in your universe. And you've been listening to our prayers. You care about us. Your precious Savior, dear Son of God. And I pray that you would just bless this afternoon and help us to be alert, to learn all we can. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Just make a brief announcement. There are books in the back. We just set up this, we waited till this afternoon to set up a stand resource material that people keep asking about and it's not that you will find there's only several by Anabaptist writers the non-Anabaptist writers I find I know most of them personally or I have talked to them on the phone and I find them very unique because they are very counterculture and so even though we will not agree with everything they have to say it is counterculture by the way water soothes the suffering I'm at a little bit of a disadvantage because usually when I have a glass up here like this, everybody back there doesn't have water. When we lived in Pennsylvania, one of our Baptist neighbors would come to our school programs, our school research report days, our Bible schools, our evangelistic meetings, and finally became so dissatisfied where they were that they joined our church. And a number of years later, he was ordained to the ministry and has been a tremendous asset to this Anabaptist team that's there. The first Sunday he got up to preach, he said, and it must have been something he wasn't used to in the Baptist church. He said, now I have access to the water. Mm-hmm. He did. And so do I. My advantage is not quite as great over you as usual, but I do have a lot of ice. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus was a very normal person from the human side. Now he was so divine, 100%. But on the human side, and Jesus was just like us. You get in the middle of the day, and if you haven't had enough water, you really wish for some. Because water soothes the suffering. I said, my nose. The water soothes the suffering. He got to a place traveling where people don't usually travel. By the way, I wonder if I could get you, before I go on with my story, if I could get you to say three numbers with me. If I would say 423, could you say that number as though it was a code number or something? Say it. 423, again. 423, fine. Remember that. Anyway, Jesus was so tired and thirsty and he didn't take the normal route that people of his particular religion did. He took a direct route through somewhat enemy country, somewhat that way, at least looked down on country. And he stopped in the middle of the day for a drink of water. And he met someone there, strangely, that was drawing water in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day. 
Because you draw water in the morning. But it could be that if you have lived a pretty disreputable life and you got tired of people whispering behind their hands, the other women, about your latest escapade, then it could be that you just stopped going for water in the morning. And so you would go for water at noon. And so she is astounded when Jesus asked her for water. Don't you know that I am Amish? You don't ask me. I mean that I am Russian Mennonite. You don't ask me. I am Jehovah's Witness. You don't ask me for water. Don't you know? I mean, don't you realize that I'm, well, that you're Jewish. I'll put it that way to not give her, not to give her away yet. (laughs) Oh, I'm afraid you're caught on anyway. She said, she said, okay, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for water. And I would give it to you. She said, this well is deep. 70, 80, or 90 feet deep, perhaps. This well is deep. How are you going to draw that water? How are you going to give me this water that Jesus said, you wouldn't even thirst again? Really? Tell me about it. Okay, get your husband. I'll tell you. Yeah, I know, Jesus said. I know. You've had five. And the one you're living with right now isn't you aren't married to. Yeah. Yeah. She's scrambling. What in the world do you do with a man like that? Uh, change the subject. Jesus, there's been a discussion on, on where we should worship. Where do you think? I know you people say you should worship there, and, and we have an idea we should worship here. Where do you think we should worship? And Jesus was fair to her. He followed her rabbit trail because that rabbit trail is one of the most beautiful verses in the New Testament. He said, the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers shall worship him in spirit and in truth. Doesn't it say that? Don't have to look yet. When the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh. Anybody know the next word? Such. Good afternoon, such. Are you okay with it now? For the Father seeketh such. The ones, and I see these, the identical twins in the New Testament. Spirit and truth. I gave you illustrations, several of them in this morning session, of how people said they were being filled with the Spirit. And their actions showed something completely different. And then there are other people who dot every I, they cross every T. And they have their liturgy, they have their form, they sing that same song or whatever it may be. They do everything so, so, so. And they have the form. And when you are with them, you find them cold. And after church, they leave. In some cases. There's been a lot of discussion over the years. Oh, I needed your help when we were in Haiti. Been there quite a few times. And they get very, very excited when you start talking about the dispensation that we now live in. And they get very excited. One man, one gentleman, one school teacher jumped up, came up part way, and he, he wasn't about to give up the drums. And I didn't say they had to give up the drums. But folks, there are two dispensations. 
And the change of dispensations, as close as I can tell, in worship, the way people are to worship, happens exactly, you can pinpoint the verse. It is John 4, 2, 3, 23. John 4, 23 is the transition between old dispensation, because the hour is coming and now is when the worshipers are going to worship in spirit and in truth. And that means you will have the warmth of the Spirit and you will have the accuracy of truth. Both. Together. And what a powerful combination. And that's the New Testament people. And the Haitians found it hard to believe that. Hard to believe. They didn't, I mean, they had some singing before the preaching some nights that was out of line. I mean, some of their little gentlemen, they could prance around and do dances and all kinds of things. And the crowd went wild. And then one of the American missionaries was supposed to preach afterward. And I told them the next morning what happened last night is exactly what I'm talking about. That's not the New Testament worship. And I was trying to be kind to them. I found it very interesting that the following night, those boys weren't permitted by their parents to perform. Now they could have sung again. I found it very, very interesting that one, my interpreter, who just drank in the teaching, and he was asked, and he was so good with English and so good with Creole, and he was asked to go back, I mean, he, he was asked to help the different missions and become one of their regular members, and he said no. I can't do that. I love my people that live way up that mountain. And it was a dangerous climb up there. It was scary to go up there. Ask my wife and our three children that went with us. And we slept up there in the native home for a couple nights. He said, when I first came up to the top of this mountain, I could count on two hands how many Christians there are, were. And I want to give my life for my people up in this mountain where I, was, where I come from. We went to his church. It was full. Everything was a cappella. So different than other churches. Two years ago when I was down, he was my interpreter again. We talked about it. And he said, did you know we built a new church? I said, no, I had no idea. He said, there just wasn't room for the people anymore. The other one's clear full. We build a bigger one. You say, their music is just a cultural issue. Don't mess with it. Let them be. Folks, their human bodies function the same way your human bodies function. And when they saw the truth and began to practice it, it didn't empty out their church. It filled up their church. Now, he, did the, he had the kindness to have music classes to, uh, Saturday afternoons for anybody who wanted to come. And he told me with delight. He said, you know, we taught them how to sing the melody, and we taught them how to sing bass. And now we're going to teach them the other parts, I guess. And I was, uh, I was just blessed. He told me at one point, I can count on my two hands. And he said it so humbly. He said, I can count on my two hands the people who are not Christian in this mountain. I say bless God because he caught a vision. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying in John chapter 4, verse 23, that the hour has come and now is when the true worshipers, indicating there are other kinds of worshipers, shall worship the Father in spirit and truth combined, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. And then you have an extremely strong statement in verse 24. God is spirit, so are you. You have that spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. No apologies. This is what the Bible says. And while all these people were rejecting and not understanding Jesus' teaching, that woman headed for her home village. Water pot or no, I don't know, she took it. She headed back there, and soon the village came out. 
They bade, they bade him to stay, and he stayed with them for two days. Do you know what their conclusion was after only two days with Jesus? So different than the folks down south in Judah. We're in Samaria now, and you know it's the Samaritan woman. And it says this. So when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word, and said unto the woman, Now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. How many people are saying that at this stage in Jesus' ministry? Almost no one, except for the Samaritans, except for those gypsies, except for those Amishmen that you thought, those Schwarzenegger Amish you thought you would maybe be able to touch quite. God loves all of them the same. He's no respecter of persons. And he's looking for people who will just be open, who recognize the, the sickness, the illness, the, the, the wrong that's in their life, and come to Christ. I'd like for you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. You can do that while I take a drink. Mm. Chapter 2, verse 1. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. Hmm. One, two, three, four, five. Five things. Ask your pastor to preach on that sometime. We need teaching on those verses right there. Malice and Anabaptists should not be found bedmates. Guile and Anabaptists shouldn't be together. Hypocrisies and Anabaptists shouldn't be together. Christians shouldn't be together. Envies, I was so glad to hear that come out in the message last night. Because we don't hear a lot about envy, but envy has been so destructive. Jealousy is a venom that destroys a brotherhood. And it happens repeatedly. And then you have all evil speakings. That is, a, that is an our subject, just those three words right there. All evil speakings. And I'm not just talking about saying a bad word or saying, being angry with somebody. I'm talking about things that take place at the counselor's desk. And I think it's a shame what's happening these days. How people are all made to be victims instead of victors. And the reason you can't do so and so is because your dad was so and so. Because your mom did so and so. And I can tell you more stories than you might even want to hear. That's a tragedy. I tell you, there is a tremendous difference. May I say two names? There is a tremendous difference between Rene Rivera... And John Regeer. I bless God for young. I bless God for the counselors who are saying. And the first one will say that. And lives by it. He practices. He said I'm going to go according to the principles of the word of God. And scattered even in Mennonite counseling places. They are using Freudian principles. Because they've studied psychology. And so they understand psychology. And I'm not saying it's wrong to understand people. But I think it's tragic. It's tragic when they, when they don't understand. They're studying their psychology. They're studying Freud. And Freud believes all kinds of things. For one thing he doesn't believe in, he doesn't believe in a resurrected God. In a resurrected Jesus. He doesn't do that. The painful riddle of death, he said, nobody's ever found a remedy for it and probably nobody ever will. He said human sexuality is, pervades all human decisions. Ego re resolves conflicts. Folks, that's anti-Christian. And, and some of these Christian counselors, including the second one I named, will use visualization, depth psychology, 
Prayer listening parallels occultic channeling, my friends. I warn you. I bless God that there is something better than evil speakings. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If so be that ye have tasted the Lord is gracious to whom coming as unto a living stone. Disallowed unto indeed of men but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is it contained in the scripture. Behold I lay in Zion. A chief cornerstone, elect, precious. That's the second time that word's come up. And he that believeth on him shall not be confounded with today's issues. You see, we, there's, the ethical question extends to a lot of things. We said the other evening when we were looking at the morality of music. But we all, there's a lot of ethical questions that we could come up with. What are appropriate things to do on Sunday afternoon? What are appropriate sports? What are the appropriate things for youth groups to do as a youth group in a mixed setting? What should they be done in a separate setting? There's all kinds of questions. The character of God is where we go constantly. And God wants perfect hearts. We've been looking at that as well. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. I don't know if we can emphasize that enough. I'm titling this afternoon's session, The 15 Characteristics of the New Song. 15 Characteristics of the New Song. But before we quite go there, I want you to notice that we're going to be making some decisions. And tomorrow morning, the first session, I want to be talking about music decisions. And you will find out that the first decision we make is simply a decision of who is going to be primary in our life. And the rest of the decisions become much easier. Who are we going to say yes to? That's number one. That's the first step. But beyond that, we know that we live in a fallen culture. And we know that there's light available up here. It shines in every direction. We know there's darkness down here. Now, Is our music going to reflect this fallen culture down here? Or is it going to reflect the perfect standard? That's the question that we're going to have to face. And up here is a person. Up here, this cross actually is to represent what Jesus did. The circle is to represent all the people around the globe that believe in Jesus. And believe that his blood is what cleanses them. Even helps them with their music issues, their music questions. And so, is he precious? In the old city of Jerusalem, I walked into an antiquity shop, and I love going there, and I meet a man called Zach. Actually, I have a picture with him with me this afternoon. Oh, Zach, you can't see him. He's standing there holding a stone. And I said to Zach, because I always buy some antiquity with him, from him, and uh, then he told me, he said, I asked him once if he uh, has a coin with Caesar's inscription in it, and he said, I sure do. He just pulled open a, a drawer and lifted it out. I said, how much do you want for that? He said, I think he said 1300 U.S. I said, may I take a picture of it? <laughs> He was talking about U.S. dollars. Well, he said, I, I discounted. I usually get 1500 for it. No, I, I still just took the picture. The stone, he said, this stone, this piece of pottery, it's just a broken piece of pottery. He said, I don't want to, the museums want this piece. I won't give it to them. I'm keeping it. Why would, a, why would Zach say that? Why would he want to keep it? Zach was from, I think it was the Black Muslim Brotherhood. He was a Muslim. But somebody was faithful and somebody kept bringing the gospel to him. And I'm told on the average, you have to be approached 6.7 times on the average before you're converted. I don't care if I'm number three or four or seven. 
or we're number one. If all of us do our part at some point, that seed will sprout by the grace of God. And it sprouted. And the moment that seed sprouted for Zach, he became an infidel to his friends. After all, he was Muslim. He converted to Christianity. What a horrible thing to do. The best thing we can do is get rid of him, lest his influence spreads out to other people. So he got into his car one day, was driving north out of Jerusalem. Reuben Yoder told me about it. Zach didn't. He was driving out north, and his ex-friends said, here is our chance to get rid of Zach. They jumped into their vehicle, and they chased after him. They pulled up alongside of him and began to shoot. Once, twice, three times, four times. Fifteen times they shot. Probably satisfied they got him good. Drove off and let him go. He probably had pulled off by that side. I don't know that by that time. There's something they didn't know. Those shots had gone across the top of his lap. They had gone in front of his chest and into the car seat behind him, but not one had hit him. Today, Zach is a preacher in the underground church in Jerusalem. He's preaching the gospel. I said, what's the significance of the stone? He said, years and thousands of, 2,000 years ago, you didn't have pencil and paper handy. You bought your purchases, you came to the gate of the city, and then you would go out and go to your residence somewhere else, if you, were, if you were from somewhere else. But you had to give evidence that what you have is paid for. And so they would pick up a piece of broken pottery, and they would scratch into it, paid in full. And so what you did is you handed that or you showed that, your piece of pottery, to the man at the gate, and when he saw that what you had was paid in full, they let you go. And then he looked at me and said, on the north side of Jerusalem, it was paid in full for me. And I understood. Really, on the north side of Jerusalem, it was paid in full for you. I was in the, one of the southern states years back. It was a Sunday night. And a man came to me after the service. He was Muslim, ex-Muslim, had become a Christian. He was from France, had come over here, gone to New Jersey, and he embraced the Baha'i religion. And he found that didn't satisfy. Muslim didn't satisfy. Baha'i religion didn't satisfy. So he traveled to Mississippi. He ended up at a Mennonite deacon's house, and he said, could you give me a place to stay? Now, that Mennonite deacon had a couple teenage daughters. What would you do with a druggie? What would you do with, a, with a, a man who's done all that, been all those places, involved in all those things? Well, the deacon said, we have a room that's attached to our house, and it's for school teachers, but we don't have school right now, and you could, have, you could be there if you like. And then, of course, he'd come in for meals and things like that. Do you know that when he saw the love between husband and wife and the parents and their children, he said, I've never seen anything like that. I've never witnessed that. And what he saw in that family is what led him to Jesus Christ. Just how they, this is how they function together. And Jesus became precious. And then he said, Brother Miller, he said, there's somebody in the audience tonight I'd like for you to meet. So I was already back in the lobby. So I came back into church, and I met this short little fellow, man. And the man looked at me, and he said uh, what his name was. And he said, I'm a Jew. I was surprised. A Jew in the service? He said, and I like money. Well, what an honest Jew. More honest than... Anabaptist, maybe. He said, I like money. He said, I come from France. And he said, I used to write out checks. He was a shrewd Jew, sharp, smart. I write out checks, and I've made all kinds of money. Lots of money. 
by bad checks he wrote till he got caught. And when he got caught, he got thrust into a prison there in France. And he wasn't in there a couple of days till a guard came to him and told him, I become a Christian. And I had a dream last night, and I dreamt that you became a Christian. <laughs> what a joke. He wasn't interested in that. What he was interested in was finding and watching everything that takes place in this prison so that he can escape. He didn't try to do it quick. He spent a year, two years, and if I'm not mistaken, close to three years in that prison before he enacted his plan. And when he enacted his plan, it worked. He got out. But he knew he better not stay in France, so he went through the, the, he went through the, state, the country line into Switzerland. And he got through that without being detected. And I forget whether he said he went to Bern or Zurich. But he went to one of those cities and he said, uh, I went to look for a nightclub. Because he'd lived in prison, he'd been incarcerated all this while. He wanted to get to a nightclub. So he, he found a nightclub. But 20 minutes too early, it wasn't open yet. So he just walked the streets. And as he walked the streets, he saw this little sign in the window that says, special talk here, message here for Jews. Well, he's a Jew. He decides to go in. So he walks in this little small room, and he walks in, and he sits down beside a rather portly lady. And he was just sitting there a short time when a rather portly lady came and sat on the other side of him. And suddenly it occurred to him that he's reincarcerated because he can't get out when he likes to. There's not room. And so, uh, well, that's all right because nightclubs are open till way late at night. He can get out late. That's no problem. He'll, he'll just do it later. What he didn't realize is that he had stumbled into an evangelical service where the pastor took the teachings of the Old Testament that show that Jesus Christ of Nazareth is the Messiah and the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. He said, I listened to that whole sermon. It did not make any sense to me. But he said something did happen at the end. When the pastor gave his invitation, he said, I felt miserable. I felt terrible about my life. I just felt so wrong. I've never felt so wrong before. And since I couldn't get out, I just turned around and knelt right where I was, and I began to cry. Just an escapee crying and wetting the bench below him. After they counseled others who had responded, they gathered around him. And they tried to help him. And before the night was over, that fellow receive Christ as his Savior. Then somebody asked him the question, what is your name? He said, John Miguel. Then they asked him twice, what did you say your name was? He said, my name is John Miguel. There was quietness there, and then the third person from the congregation asked, this little congregation, said, what did you say your name was? He said, and he couldn't understand their uncanny interest in his name. He said, my name is John Mikhail. Praise the Lord. Three years ago, there was a French guard who was converted. And he stopped by our little church. And he told us about a dream he had about a John Mikhail. And he asked, would you be willing to pray for that inmate every day? So we prayed and prayed and prayed. And tonight you came to us and you found Jesus. And as soon as John was done telling me that, he clasped his hands together and he said, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Oh, he said... I, I would just like to, when I get on the street, I'd just like to stand by the picture windows and catch the people as they go past and tell them about my Jesus. Was he precious to him? Of course he was. And I saw the fervor and I saw the glow and I saw the wonder of it all. And I said to him, John, I hardly knew what to say. I said, John, could you tell me, 
could you tell me when this happened? And he said, yes, it happened in 1974. And I was really shocked. Because over a quarter century before, it had taken place, but the wonder was still there. And 25 years from now, young folks, I want you to have the same wonder you have today, if not more. It can be maintained, but we must embrace the new song. We're not finished with this scripture. Look at verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Well, what kind of song does a chosen generation sing? Mm, water soothes the suffering. Mm, that's good. A chosen song, of course. What does a royal priesthood sing? A royal song, of course, in this dispensation, of course. A holy nation. What song does the holy nation sing? A holy song. A peculiar people. Oh, what kind of song is that? Al Smith used to say, the author of the hymn history books out there, Al Smith used to say, I used to hear him say, that that peculiar there doesn't mean a ha-ha people. It means a special set-aside people. And so we don't sing a ha-ha song. We sing a special set-aside song. Not a song from the bottom of culture, but a song that has its roots and birth up here at the top where Jesus is precious. And then what does he say next? Ye are this, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Not still down there. Out. Which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts. Wait a minute, he's talking to Christians. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works glorify God which is in heaven. Look at that. It's your dedication to the new song. And by new song, we're not talking about a chronologically new song. Although there are some very, very precious songs being written today. But maybe not as many of them in our culture as should be. But in some of the other cultures, there's some songs coming out. Folks, I'm told, and you probably know it better than I, that there, are, that there is more persecuted believers than there ever were. In 1979, Iran had 500 Christian believers. In 2020, they number right at a million. Does the Muslim faith work? It's not working. And people are becoming disillusioned with ISIS. And I tell you, we're living in a time when we should have the gospel ready to give, ready to share. Because the world is in such a condition that it's exactly like you heard this morning. You stand out in contrast to the youth of our day. Stark contrast. They don't get it. How could you be? You mean you don't listen to that kind of music? And they listen to your song? They, they don't even understand. They, people just don't understand. We, we just enjoy inviting people to our school programs. And our school programs are rather evangelical. We have two a year. It's a lot of work for the teachers. But we make sure that the gospel says, somebody said, one of the programs, they actually took a picture from the back. They said, it looks like a Protestant meeting. There were so many neighbors and other people there. Hardened man, one hardened man was sitting there. And our pastor said, he has talked to him. You couldn't move the man. But when the children shared the message, the tears were running down his face. Folks, when Jesus becomes precious to young people, you have a ministry on your hands. You have a new song. One more scripture before I give you the 15 points. 
Psalm 40. I waited patiently on the Lord and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. Why? Because we really are down here too. You may have been born in a wonderful family, folks, but Jesus has to save us and has to become precious to us as much as the fellow down the street that has not even heard yet. I spoke of this subject in northern Indiana years ago, and, and one of the pastor's wife was a relation to my father. And she didn't, had no clue who I was, didn't know I was one of her relatives. Oh, when she met me afterwards, she said, I just thought you were a convert of some sort. I should hope I'm a convert of some sort, and I hope you are too. Indeed, he brought me which direction? Up, out. Down here it is. The panic, the hopelessness, the mire, the appall, the no future, the tension, the pit, hell. He brought me up out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock. I would like for you to notice the last three words. And established my goings. That's culture. That's the way we do things. This change gives me a song that speaks of a new heart. A heart who's perfect toward God. And that's what God's looking for. That's a, he put a new song in my mouth. Oh no, that gets quoted. He put a new song in my heart. Verse 2 takes care of the heart. Verse 3 is the response that you need to give. He put a new song in my mouth, it says, even praise unto our God. Now notice what else it says. Many shall see it and fear, think you're strange. And then we have those precious last five words. And shall trust in the Lord. They don't know how to handle it. They, 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 it just doesn't make sense. What are the characteristics of that kind of song? The first characteristic is that it unifies. And I'm not saying by that that other songs don't unify. I want you to put all 15 of these characteristics together and see what kind of song it leaves you with. Colossians 2.2 says that their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love. It ends the arguments. It ends all the hard discussions with each other. When you devote yourself to this new song, it unifies us instead of divides us. That's what it does. I tell you, churches that sing together beautifully and well have something going for them that some other struggling churches can't have. My, my mother used to say that singing as a family has a snowballing effect. And I think that's right. One bird, one bird in the orchard can start all the others singing. Now, you know, they don't all start up the same moment, maybe. One person before their feet hit the floor, just out of bed, they're already singing something and Sister begrudges it a little bit because she doesn't feel like getting up yet. But what song is she singing at 10 o'clock that morning? Same one her sister sang at 6. Why? Because this new song binds together. Doesn't tear apart young people and older people's convictions. It pulls them together. And parents can say to their children, you don't know what it means to me. That I don't constantly have to be checking on you. Your music tastes are a challenge to me. Your music appetites, rather. They're a challenge to me. And I know young people who have stronger convictions in music than their parents do. And I bless God for them. Because I know that in the future, those young people are right now preparing for an enlarged ministry. Number two. It exposes, and you say, ouch. 
I don't like to have a song that exposes. Much of music today is amusement music, including a lot of Christian music. It's amusement music. It covers it up. It causes people not to think, just to enjoy it, and nothing more. But the Bible tells us in Hebrews 4, 13, All things are naked and open unto him, unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. This new song exposes us instead of covering up. Folks, that's to your advantage. Let me ask you. Would you like to be a better Christian in 2020 than you were in 2019? How about 2021? Would you like to be a little better Christian then than you were in 20? I would. The Lord's still teaching me things, even in three score and ten. He's taught me things in recent victory. I had a recent victory that just, I just rejoice in. I've been thinking about it sitting right here, listening to your, some of your pastors preach. I just bless God for it. If we want to grow, we have to be willing to be exposed. And just welcome that exposure. There's a lot of songs that will do that. Fully surrendered, Lord divine, I will be true to thee. Then you get to the stanza. Though he may cause me in lands afar to roam, I will be true to thee. You say, Lord, no. I know they'd like to have me in Ghana. They'd like to have me in Haiti. But Haiti's so torn up right now, I don't want to go. They might want me in stateside somewhere. They might want me down in Columbia to help with a food kitchen. I don't know where all they, they are asking to have you. And then you sing those songs. Those songs pierce your heart. You say, Lord, I'm sorry. If you want me to go, I'll go. I'll go anywhere you ask me to go that my parents and my church agree to. I'll go. This new song has the power to convict instead of hardening us. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. This new song restores. Oh, how we need restoration in our day. The Bible says, Restore unto me the joy of our salvation. I'm guessing, I don't know, but I'm guessing some of you have had a few heartaches already. Maybe a sibling died. Maybe a courtship ended that you treasured. Maybe your parents have asked something that you just think is too much. I had a seventh grade girl last year. I said, I need a poem. I'm going to read the six stanzas she wrote for me, titled, Fit for the Master's Use. My heart before the potter lay dull, colorless, empty, and gray. He looked at me and knew at once to start without delay. My potter's shoulders shook with sobs, his face all washed with tears. He lifted up his hammer still while I lay cringed in fears. His hammer lifted high, then crack. My dreams lay crushed, my life was shattered. With every blow, more pieces flew till I lay ruined and battered. Through groans and moans of pain, I cried, Lord, aren't you finished yet? Be brave, my child, came soft reply. Your needs are not yet met. Then suddenly the pounding stopped, and Master reached for new soft clay. I watched with wonder as he turned my darkness into lighted day. My cracked and empty pot was gone. A new clean vessel filled its place. The potter was content at last as I smiled into his face. End of quote. And I thought to myself, that illustrates the experience of someone far beyond seventh grade. Some of us older ones know what that's about, don't you? Bless God, she's a dear soul. She's in instruction for baptism right now. She comes to school every morning with a smile because she's yielded, she's found the restoring power of the potter in her life. Us adults go through. We were young married. We were living right here in Kelowna. We were going through a, a difficult experience because, well, actually... 
we uh, knew that our oldest son was hearing impaired. And we had then a daughter that was hearing impaired several births later, born in Washington over here. And then we had a son born. We named him Evangel, which is just a few letters short of evangelist. And uh, we had high hopes for this little boy. He was a noisy little baby. That's not all bad. But then he turned quiet. Why would he turn quiet? So we went to St. Louis. We called him first and we said, uh, we don't know what's up with our little baby. They said, uh, oh, you have it in the family. He's probably deaf. You bring him, we'll test him. And, oh, we said it can't be that bad. Just Maybe we should test him sometime. But, oh, yes, you've got it in your family. You come bring it. We'll take him over to the hospital. We'll take him over to the clinic, the, the Central Institute for the Deaf. And we'll, we'll do a lot of testing. We said, well... They insisted, so we went. We took him to the hospital. They put him to sleep, five months old. Put electrodes all over his head. Put the sound into his ears, all the different decibel levels of the different frequencies. They pumped it up. Meanwhile, my wife and I waited a long hour to see, surely not the third time in our family. Surely not. When the nurse came out, or not the nurse, but the audiologist. When she came out, she was carrying her audiogram in one hand and our baby in the other hand. She's walking down the hall, the light's shining down on the audiogram, and I could see the marks were down low from the underside of the paper, and my heart sank. But I was still unprepared for what she told us when we sat down. She handed us our still sedated baby, and then she looked at the then she showed us the audiogram. And those frequencies were at the bottom with arrows pointing down. And she said, we went to the peak of our equipment. We got no sound, no response at all at any frequency. Well, we'd have deaf children before, but we never had one so deaf. And I'll admit we were pretty human. We just said, Lord, how could this be? She tried to comfort us. She said, well, if our equipment could have gone a little bit louder, maybe we'd have gotten something. That didn't comfort us at all. Because they had gone as loud as they could at the hospital. We drove home. We got as far as Wentzville, Missouri. Coming up through, we're going to come up through Hannibal, coming up this way to Kelowna again. We stopped at, we didn't have cell phones then, so we stopped at a payphone to call my wife's parents in Pennsylvania and my parents in Kansas Tell them about our third deaf baby. As I got out of our little white Plymouth car, I saw my oldest son who was hearing impaired in the back seat and the tears were running down his face. And I said, Kristen, what's wrong? He said, Daddy, I don't mind being deaf, but I don't want my baby brother to be deaf. And I remembered that over here on Highway 1, driving down the highway. One day he was seated beside me as a four or five-year-old, maybe six, I'm not sure, in the pickup. And he said, Daddy. Yes, son. I'm glad I'm deaf. And I said, Son, what makes you say that? He said, Because that's the way God made me. And I thought, the simple faith of a child makes it easier for them to accept things than sometimes their parents can accept it. Now, our children never did learn sign language. They all became oral, thanks to the training they received in Kelowna, Iowa, to start with. They all have cochlear implants. There were some other things happening in this community, and they were very, very sad for us, where people began to trust the instruments of Egypt instead of God. And we couldn't sleep well sometimes. Sometimes I woke up and my wife was crying. And I would say, Ruth, what are you crying for? And she said, because I don't know if I did enough for my deaf children today. Because she was their teacher. Teaching Kristen 25 new words every week. For a year she did that. Plus take care of the other children. One day... Carlin, who recognized some of the heaviness that we were going through, 
said, Daddy, I think we ought to sing Mama's song. And I didn't know what Mama's song was. But my wife had reached out to the Lord with our struggles. And God had given her a song, and she quietly taught it to the children. They sat me down in that brown chair, and then they stood in front of me with my wife and began to sing. I love you, Jesus, my precious friend, my Savior friend. I thank you, Jesus, for peace within. I praise you, Jesus, for grace to me. I worship you, Lord, for Calvary. I come to you, Lord, this very hour and humbly praise you for saving power, for cleansing blood, Lord, for sin set free, in adoration for Calvary. It struck me that I am not hearing anything about our troubles in this song. Why? And I was to learn a good lesson from my wife. I've learned more than this one, but here's one. The secret of joy is to learn to focus on what you do have instead of what you don't have. And what we did have was Jesus. And so she took that five-month-old baby that she had read the scripture to for several months already, just as a baby, when she was holding him and things, she'd be reading the Bible to him. He hadn't heard a word. Do you think the Lord was still going to honor what she had read to him? I think so. He has. And then I would see her rocking him to sleep and she'd get to the last stanza. When life is over and day is done, I'll ever praise you for victories won. I'll sing with angels and saints above because of Calvary, oh wondrous love. I love you, Jesus, at morning light. I love you, Jesus, at noon so bright. I love you, Jesus, at evening's call. I love you, Jesus, best friend of all. That kind of song restored our family. It was a tremendous blessing to us. Well, number five, it adjusts our attitudes. And my attitude needs adjusting sometimes. And this new song gives me a good attitude. Instead of causing emotional havoc and rebelliousness, this nature of this song it's the new song. It's the song that is accompanied by new life. That's what it means. It's not just chronological, not just because it was written in 2019. But it's because the nature is the nature of the new creation. The new creature that we are in Christ. And so it adjusts our attitudes. It strengthens our morals. Keep thyself pure. Teaches sound theology. I might just go to the end here and come back tomorrow morning. And I need my glass of water, though. Water soothes the suffering. If you live a little space between 7 and 13, I'm going to give you the last three points, or the number 13 and number 15, and then I'll, we'll fill them in tomorrow morning in between. Number 13, it moves God's hands. I mean, this is a song that pleases God. It doesn't block his blessing. It invites his blessing. That's the nature of this song. I'll speak more about developing the character of children later. I'm going to put 13 and 15 together because I don't want your hamburgers to be dry. Number 15, it brings rejoicing in heaven. That's the nature when you embrace the new song, the song that is characteristic, that carries the character of God in it. I'd like to conclude with a story that happened years ago when the gospel came to Eastern Europe for the first time. At first, it was well received, and then it wasn't received. Then there was reaction. Folks, that is often how it is. People kind of think, oh, they're unique, you know, and oh, this new church is in the area, they're, they're, they're kind of nice and everything. And then when you start living out the gospel, they react to you. And they make it hard for you, and they make fun of you. You're not sure what to think. 
Folks, just go on being faithful. These two missionaries were taken and they were mistreated. They were beaten up and tortured and thrown into a prison. And the prisons weren't nice prisons, folks. They weren't stainless steel kitchen, tile floor facilities. No, they weren't. They were carved out of mountains. And the varmints ran around in them. And if you had rheumatism or sinus trouble, it was sure to be aggravated. It was a not a nice place to be. And that's where these two men were. And these two men were so injured and so hurt, they couldn't even, they couldn't even sleep. They couldn't even rest. They were so uncomfortable. What did they do? They gave the biggest testimony that any of you can ever give, and that's to live life different than everybody else. That's the life, live life the gospel way. That's so unforeign to everybody. And that's how they did it. They couldn't sleep. 10 o'clock rolled around. 11 o'clock rolled around. Whether they, could be, whether they were as good singers as your song leader and all these folks in the chorus, they may not have been. But they sang anyway. It was actually, actually Europeans' first Christian duet. I mean, they just sang, hurting as they were. No, but that didn't make sense to anybody. But you know, folks, somebody is watching from way above us. And it'll move, it'll bring rejoicing in heaven when his people respond that way to the storms of life. They sing right through them. Yes, sing through the darkness. Sing in the light. Sing with the morning and sing in the night. Sing when your eyes have been clouded with pain. Sing in the sunshine and sing through the rain. Sing when it's autumn or winter or spring. Nothing can touch you as long as you sing if you sing the new song. Suddenly God couldn't keep quiet anymore. He began to shake that place. And the doors flew open. And the missionaries were freed. But they stayed inside, and the guard who was standing outside was going to commit suicide because he knew it's life for life. Escapees, his life. But somebody called out, told him not to do it. Don't do yourself any harm. We're here. We're all here. He goes scrambling into that prison. Can you understand the impact of his question? He asked, what must I do to be saved? He didn't know anything about being saved, did he? He must have heard them pray. He must have heard them singing. He must have heard them responding to life differently than any prison had, prisoner had ever responded in that prison. And so, he said, you come with me. And he takes him to his house. And he gets out the water. Oh. except they used the water on their back. And I would expect, I don't know how it was for sure, we'll get to ask him someday, I think. But I would suppose that Mrs. Guard stood in the back of one of them and Mr. Guard in the back of the other one. You, go, you know, I'm talking about Paul and Silas. And so they would have stood back there and they were take their sponge, put it down the bowl, and then they start cleaning their crusty blood up Oh, this said, get that cleaned off. What a relief. Water soothes the suffering. But I would guess that it was not just the water from the bowl that was running down the backs of those two people. Like John Miguel, I would guess that the guard and his wife couldn't understand why they themselves are crying so hard. They never experienced that kind of repentance before. And so water's mingling down. And I would strongly suspicion that on the front side, those two missionaries, the water was going on the floor for them too because they recognized a new song is happening behind my back. And they knew the Lord was at work. Do you know what else happened? That household, that whole household got saved. And you know what else? Not only does water soothe the suffering, but water also seals the saved. And they were baptized. 
the two precious functions of water. Seal the suffering. I mean, soothe the suffering and seal the saved. Folks, that is, the, that is exactly what Psalm 40 verse 3 said. He had put a new song in my mouth. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. God bless you.